0: Well, Rose, we are excited to uh, hear what God's placed on your heart. Uh, We are excited, uh, again, just to experience the way in which um, your study of Scripture is going to be a blessing uh, to the rest of us as a community. And so I'm going to stay up here and just whenever you need me to read the Scripture text, which is early in, uh, then I will be ready and available to do that. Uh, but let's pray for you as you uh, share with us. God, I thank you for Rose. I thank you for the gifts that you have given to her. I thank you for the gift that she is to us here at Jericho, uh, to those in her complex where she lives and those who engage with her in any way. We thank you, Father, that uh, you have taught her much in her own personal journey, and we thank you that you have taught her things that are on your heart for us to hear and receive. From your word today. And so we open our hearts to hear from you through Rose in this space today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go.
1: So I'm going to apologize right off the bat. I'm going to follow this transcript pretty closely. But uh, this is what the Lord has given me, and uh, I hope that it's a blessing. I want to welcome you to Jericho Ridge Community Church for the fifth installment on our series of Ezra Nehemiah. My name is Rose Hominick, and I'm excited to join the preaching team as we look at these ancient books written centuries before the birth of Jesus to discover what they can say to us who are God's people today. Now the main portion of scripture I'll be dealing with this morning is found in Ezra chapter 7 and I'll be talking about an amazing leader in the history of the Jewish nation. His name was Ezra. Uh, I'd like for Brad to read uh, my portion of scripture from Ezra 7, 1 to 10 and then we'll get going.
0: I think you gave this to me because it has all the hard names in it, which I will successfully butcher. So, uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 1 begins in this way in the New Living Translation. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. He was the son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahahutub, Son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mariathoth, son of Zerariah, son of Uzi, son of Bukai, son of Abushah, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the high priest. (laughs) Uh, This Ezra was a scribe. He was well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came up from Jerusalem to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign." Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He'd arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. And this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord to us. Amen. Amen.
1: Now, for those of us who've been following along with the series, we know that in 538 BC, Cyrus the Great allowed the exiled Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, a great number of people went. In fact, close to 50,000 people returned to Israel with Shesh Bazar, Zerubbabel, and Jeshua. And among that number were a large population of priests and people who would work in the temple. But not every Jewish exile returned at that time, and maybe many of them didn't return at all. Some people chose to stay in Babylon, and I'm sure that each person and each family that decided to stay put had any number of reasons for doing so. Sometimes, you know, it's helpful and even a bit of fun to use our imagination and put ourselves in their position. Now, it's a four-month, 2,700-kilometer journey from Babylon to Israel. Needs to say, there were no planes, trains, or automobiles. There were, however, plenty of animals along for the journey, but the fact is that even with 8,000 rideable animals, many of which were probably loaded down with treasure and supplies, that would leave tens of thousands of people to possibly make the trek on foot. Now the first thing that comes to my mind at this point is that ancient Babylon didn't have any natural balance athletic shoe stores. (laughs) One of my troubling challenges makes it necessary for me to wear these uh, put the ug in ugly black walking shoes, and without them I'm incapable of walking anywhere. So I absolutely would have been among the people who would have stayed right where I was. Perhaps some who stayed had bought into the Babylonian culture and were happy to bloom there. Um, Or maybe some had businesses or large families and they decided it would just be too difficult to transplant back to the promised land. But among the people who stayed was an exclusive group of priests and scribes who had a very good reason to linger in Babylon. They were part of an important plan God was working out. They chose to stay because they were laser focused on a divine commission, and traveling with the exiles was not what God had called them to do. These were peoples whose entire lives and the lives of their children were committed to painstakingly preserving, copying, and studying the Hebrew Scriptures called the Torah, or the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This morning when our worship team were singing about dry bones, to me this is the dry bones. These first five books are so far away from our reality. They're so difficult. And they're so dry. But these scribes were very busy making sure that this word of the Lord would always be available to the people of God. They were also well-versed in the prophetic writings like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Haggai, and Zechariah. And they understood the important role that a scrupulously guarded, diligently copied, thoroughly studied and passionately explained hebrew scripture would play in the life of the people of god and they were responsible they were responsible to guard it and to copy it and to study it the people of israel had survived slavery in egypt 40 years in the wilderness war and famine and drought They had survived the division of their country from within, and foreign invasion, and the desecration, and finally the destruction of their temple, and exile to Babylon. But one constant thing held them together. Whether in Babylon or in Jerusalem, the scribes protected the word of God. The word of God, according to the Hebrew scriptures, would, did, and still does outlast everything. So while the 50,000 were off on their extremely important adventure in Jerusalem, the collection of scholars who stayed behind were at work busy to keep the word of the Lord available to the people and safe from being assimilated into the pagan culture. They would see that Cyrus' edict was a direct fulfillment of the prophecies which foretold that after seventy years in exile, the Jewish nation would return to Jerusalem. They would rebuild the temple, reinstitute the worship of Yahweh, or let's just put it the other way around. They would reinstitute the worship of Yahweh, then they would build the temple. Okay, along and so and they would reinstitute this sacrificial system. Hopefully, hopefully. They would model a lifestyle to the world that reflected a special relationship to God. In words directly from the mouth of God and recorded in Exodus 19, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure among all the nations of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. So given the law handed down to Moses and supposedly understanding its requirements, the people of God said, yep, we're picking up what you're putting down, God. We know exactly what you want and we're going to be committed to living your way. What an incredible future they had to look forward to. However, it was predicated on one small, but nonetheless unavoidable, elephant-in-the-middle-of-the-room kind of word. And that word was if. In the narrative of Ezra-Nehemiah, the events recorded in chapter 7 of Ezra occurred many years after the people of God had gone to the promised land. In all that time, the Jewish people had stopped and started and stopped and started, but eventually they managed to build an altar, reinstitute the worship of Jehovah and the sacrificial system, put together a solid foundation for the temple, and finish the construction of the actual building. But despite everything they accomplished since the Edict of Cyrus, They still hadn't finished the work. They still hadn't laid hold of that ever-elusive if. And their lifestyle and relationships showed it. You know, it's interesting that regardless of which Old Testament book you read, whether it was written before or after the exodus and the exile, they portrayed a people who got themselves into the same kind of trouble over and over again they didn't obey the laws of moses they broke their promise they broke the covenant they had with god they didn't attend to the little word if true to past behavior and very very predictably After just over 80 years of living in Jerusalem, the people, whether from discouragement or apathy or both, had settled into the land, married into the pagan culture to the point that syncretism was a real threat to the religion of Yahweh. Syncretism. That's the mixing of pagan worship practices with the worship of the one true God. The Ten Commandments, and the laws of moses absolutely forbid syncretism they were inches away metaphorically speaking from getting themselves into the same predicament that led to the fall of solomon's temple when the people of god and most notably solomon the king himself began to marry women of pagan gods and all this led to compromise in their worship services i think it was dean ulrich who said that long ago Long before foreign boots had trampled Solomon's temple, Jewish mixed marriages had so watered down and defiled the religion of Yahweh that the physical destruction paled in comparison. And here they were again, back in Jerusalem, getting embroiled in the same mess. And even the priests and the Levites were involved in it up to their armpits, And all this happened while the walls of Jerusalem, an integral part of the temple complex, had not been completed, and the work they'd been sent back to do was not yet entirely accomplished. But that, my friends, is a sermon for another time and another person. So even though Jews in Jerusalem and those who stayed in Babylon were separated by 2,700 kilometers, news traveled back and forth between the two centers. No doubt the scholars who lived in Babylon uh, during the time of Ezra also had contacts in Jerusalem. Perhaps they heard, or at least they were concerned, about how things were in Israel and what was happening in the civic and religious life of the people. So in 458 B.C., Ezra, the priest of the God of Israel, a defeated land with a scattered population under the control of Persia, Ezra, skilled teacher of the books of Moses. Excellent reading if you were Jewish, but probably not on Babylon's bestseller list. That Ezra got it into his head to check things out in Israel, so he made an appointment with Artaxerxes I, who was the supreme ruler of the great Persian Empire. Now, Artaxerxes was known to be a bit moody. And he certainly was in a position to kill you if he wasn't impressed with you or your unreasonable requests. Ezra presented that king with an ambitious wish list to facilitate his journey to Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, he was going to need some extended time off from his job as the king's commissioner of Jewish religious affairs. Surprisingly, Artaxerxes gave Ezra everything he asked for, including the leave of absence. So how did Ezra manage to score all this incredible favor? Well, if you asked Ezra, he'd tell you that he didn't. And he would be the first to admit that it was all God. In fact, repeatedly, Ezra attributes his unusual influence and favor to God. Repeatedly we're told that Ezra was a man who didn't have to take no for an answer because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was with him. And why was God's gracious hand so solidly upon Ezra? The answer comes in verses 9 and 10 of Ezra 7, which says God gave Ezra favor because Ezra had determined to study and obey the laws of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. In short, Ezra was skilled in the if that God had talked about in Exodus chapter 19. Ezra had grasped the if, and he knew how to communicate it. As God's good leader, Ezra studied the law, obeyed the law, and taught the law to others. Ezra determined to study the law of Moses. Ezra had a passion for the word of God that made him determined to study it and study it and study it. As I said earlier, the word of God for Ezra meant the first five books of the Bible, known as the books of the laws of Moses, and the prophets, whose message reinforced the laws of Moses. He was thoroughly skilled in interpreting them. I don't believe he saw what many teachers saw when they studied the Book of Law. I can tell you that he really saw something that until recently, I don't think I saw. He poured over those scriptures and he looked at them from every angle and he wasn't just casually familiar with them. He was intimately connected to their every pen stroke, their every space, their every comma, their every period. He devoted his life to study them and was captivated by them because in the laws of Moses, he had discovered the very character of God whose overarching attribute or characteristic is love. In the books of the law, Ezra discovered a God who loved his people, a God who knew then and knows now, that his people continuously think wrong thoughts continuously have wrong attitudes continuously do wrong things and continuously live wrong ways this is a simple definition of the word sin and God is so holy so unfamiliar in his own person to any of these things that it is impossible for him to have fellowship with people who are sinful. But oh, how God loved them, even though they sinned. How he loves us, even though we sin. And how he wanted to be in relationship with them. So as Ezra studied the portions of scripture available to him, he saw himself for who he really was. And he saw Israel for who they really were. They constantly sinned. They felt the guilt of that sin. Many of them felt sorry for having sinned, and they wanted to come back into right relationship with God. So God provided a way called the sacrificial system. Now, if any of these words are unfamiliar to you, I would just give you a hint go ask Wally, (laughs) go ask Brad. (laughs) I can't cover everything in 25 minutes. But God provided a way for them to be in relationship with him. And it's minutely outlined in the books of the law. It was not set in place just in case the people might sin. It was there because the people sinned a lot. What an incredibly loving thing god to do you know he could have just written them off he could just write us off but he doesn't what an incredibly loving thing for god to do he provided a way and it could be seen as a temporary fix but it was it was more than that it was a picture of things to come Ezra, like every Hebrew in Jerusalem at the time, had to go back to the sacrificial system over and over and over again because they kept sinning. But the the blood of bulls and goats could not remove their sin permanently. But Ezra could see in his study of Scripture that there would be a time when that would happen. But it wasn't in the now for Ezra and Israel. The prophet Isaiah spoke of it when he said, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne Of his ancestor David for all eternity now there had been a hope that this descendant of David would appear but for Ezra and for the people of Israel he hadn't shown up Zerubbabel he was in the direct line of David and we knew we know and they knew that this special king was from the direct line of David but He'd been their latest disappointment. He didn't amount to much. This hope for king was in the not yet. And it was to that not yet that Ezra looked as he studied the law. I think Ezra studied the law, and he studied the prophets, and he came away knowing that God loved him, that God loved the nation of Israel, that God loved his people. The book of James found in the New Testament says that the law is like a mirror that shows us what we look like. But if we merely read the law and don't obey it, it's just like seeing our face and then forgetting what we look like. Ezra had seen himself in the law and he never wanted to forget what he looked like. So Ezra determined to obey the law. Full stop. Mic drop. drop. Ezra obeyed the law. Now, how did, he, how did he manage that? Now, I want us to notice that it did not say that Ezra obeyed the Ten Commandments. Those were the laws given to Moses by God, and yes, uh, wake up and smell the strongly brewed coffee. They are impossible to keep. So God lovingly set up the sacrificial system to breach that gap, not permanently, and not without a lot of effort, But it functioned for the now, and it waited for that time when it would no longer be needed. The long and short of it was that while the commandments of God were impossible to keep, the laws of Moses were not. And Ezra obeyed those laws to the extent that God was extremely pleased with him and that God gave him everything that he asked for. God made him influential. God made him winsome. It, it's almost like Ezra could have sold a refrigerator to the Eskimos. He, he just, people loved him. So going back to what Ezra discovered when he studied the law, he saw a God who loved his people so much that he provided a way for them to be in relationship with him for the now. And in the prophet Isaiah, the Ezra discovered that at some point in the future, a provision would be made to keep the people of God in right relationship with God for all times, for eternity. His proper response was to love God and love his word and obey the laws of Moses. And that's what he did. Ezra grasped that all-important If. If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the nations of the earth. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. Now all Ezra had to do was communicate that awesome truth to the people in Jerusalem. Ezra determined to teach the law to others. Ezra had that privilege and he was an extremely popular teacher, even before he left Jerusalem. And in all likelihood, he worked as a liaison between the people of God and the palace. And if there, were any, if there was any confusion about the Mosaic law, he was the person sought out to explain it. He lived the law of Moses. One um, person I read said that when Ezra walked in, in Babylon and in Jerusalem, it was like God was walking in Babylon and Jerusalem. He was like God with skin on. And why is that? Because through his study and his obeying of the word of God, he had grasped how much God loved them, how much God loved everyone. And that made him just an incredible person to encounter. Wow. I wondered what that would be like. I wonder if after I took my friends from the complex out for coffee and invited them home, they would say, oh, yeah, we, we were with someone who was like God with skin on. I can guarantee you that's not what they'd say. <laughs> but boy, what a what a What a privilege. The people in Jerusalem couldn't have had a better teacher at their disposal. The prophetic book of Amos talks about a time when God would send a famine on the land of Israel. Not a famine for bread or for for thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. But with Ezra teaching from the temple, there was no such famine. He offered nothing short of a banquet. His unique insights into the books of the law would have made him a riveting teacher. When he spoke, his interpretation of the law would have been full of truth and grace and love and hope for the future. When Ezra stood before the people of God, he brought the word of God with him. He carried it with him. And from it, he spoke to the sin that was the result of their discouragement and hopelessness. And he brought this teaching to the whole people of God, not just the priests, not just the people who worked in the temple. Ezra's teaching embraced every member of God's people, every man, woman, and child, along with those who worked in the temple as priests and teachers because God knows they needed it. Ezra called the whole community to be part of God's kingdom of priests and his holy nation as Christians we're called to be part of that heritage we see a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in the life the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus who by the way was in the direct line is in the direct line of of David and like Ezra we are looking we are solidly in the now but we are looking for the not yet that not yet time When Jesus will return and usher in a time of eternal peace and reconciliation. In 1 Peter 2.9, we read that we, we, the people of God, are his chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. God's very own possession. But it's an encouragement to know that within the chosen people, God still calls out leaders for his church. Another New Testament book, Ephesians, says God still gives his church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, if any of those words are unfamiliar with, to you, um, Brad and Wally will explain them to you. But I, I, I will tell you that, 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 that Brad and Wally, among other gifts they may possess, are, they're, they're pastors and their teachers. And it's their job to carry on a work very similar to what Ezra did. It's their responsibility to to, to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. They have an awesome and difficult responsibility. They're called to teach a much more complicated word of God, which includes both the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, the beautiful New Testament. It has four books that deal with the life of Jesus, one book that tells the story of the very early church, and 22 epistles or letters that deal with how can we live as followers of Jesus Christ. The people here at Jericho Ridge believe that both the Old and the New Testament originated from God and are authoritative in our lives. Now, what does that mean? It means that they are useful to teach us what is true, and, what makes, uh, and, and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. So like Ezra, the leaders and teachers here at Jericho Ridge believe true religion and vibrant spirituality start with the Bible, and so they teach it. And so our leadership team is committed to teaching and preaching the Word of God, helping each of us to understand it, to love it, to make it central to our lives, and to love the God who gave it to us. As I've gotten to know our pastors and leaders, I see in them a determination to study, to obey, and to teach the Word of God to us. And I am so grateful for that. Not unlike the days of Ezra, we live in troubling times. We look forward to a time of peace and reconciliation, but that's not our now. That's our not yet. Please, please pray for the leaders in this church. Support them as they take stands in the coming months and years that are faithful to what the Word of God teaches, but which are completely counter to the culture in which we live. Brad and Wally do not have a letter from a man of the stature of Artaxerxes making it really really difficult to not follow the word of the lord (laughs) they don't have that that's not our culture so they are they are facing difficult times so i'd like to give a word of a benediction over our pastors and leaders here at jericho so if you're part of the teaching and leadership team please stand up to receive it do i see some people standing great from the book of 2 Timothy 4.1 I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom preach the word of God be prepared whether the time is favorable or not patiently correct rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound of wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look to teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear, whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling the good news of a God that loves his people and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. And all the people of the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Praise God.